You're listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast, where it's all about exploring possibilities for making an honest living outside of the traditional nine to five. To all my corporate quitters and wannabe corporate quitters, if you're loving the podcast and looking for more easily digestible BS-free resources like the Quitter Starter Pack or How to Go Viral Guide, be sure to check out our website, corporatequitter.com, and our Instagram at the corporate quitter, where we spill all the deets on the daily, helping you get one step closer to just doing the damn thing. Now, on to our episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Corporate Quitter. I'm your host, Gabby Ionello, and today's guest I'm super excited about. She has a very, very unique story, and I know a lot of you who are still in corporate are dying to hear a story just like this, so I'm so grateful that she can come on. Her name is Amy Yip. She's a certified life transformation and mental fitness coach who works with high-achieving, ambitious women to tap into their full potential, let go of the quote-unquote shoulds, and be the author of their own life story. Because if you don't tell your story, someone else will, which is so true. In January 2020, after 16-plus years of building and leading global teams and organizations like Google, Clorox, and Booz Allen, Amy left the corporate world, sold everything, and took a one-way flight to with her husband to volunteer at a breast cancer nonprofit and travel the world. COVID shifted their plans and they got stuck in Ghana for seven months. One of her greatest learnings, your mindset, not your circumstance, makes all the difference in your happiness and success. Through this lens, Amy works with clients to find their voice and the courage to speak up, build self-confidence, navigate change, and discover what they really want in their life and career. Quite a background. Like I said, I'm so excited that people get to hear your story and just your experience because it is so unique. And right, you took this leap. I'm just so grateful that you can be on. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I know, obviously, we just kind of covered your background, but can you give your full story, like with the details and all the hiccups? And I know you you went on an ayahuasca retreat. You were trying to get pregnant. Like a lot of things were happening at the same exact time. Yeah. So like you said, in January, 2020, left my job at Google, sold all my belongings. I was living in New York at the time with my husband. We had just a backpack and took a one-way flight to Ghana. Our plan was we were going to volunteer at this breast cancer nonprofit and then travel the world. Didn't have an end date in mind. And then all of a sudden COVID hit the world and completely shifted our plans. So I ended up stuck in Ghana until September. So we were there for seven and a half months because they closed their borders. And then when they finally did reopen their borders, we didn't have a home to go back to in the U.S. All we had was a backpack and we we're like, well, why not just live nomadically? So we decided to live nomadically and did that for about a year. The thing is, oftentimes when people hear my story at this point, they're like, oh, you have so much courage I wish I could do that too. And then they follow it up with something like, but I can't. I'm in my career and I just can't drop it all. I'm the breadwinner in my family and they rely on my income or I'm at the prime age to start a family and I need to focus on that. And the reality is that there will never be a right time to live your dreams, right? No matter what your dreams are. And I promise you, I am no braver, no more courageous than anybody out there, anybody who's listening, because it wasn't easy for me either. And I had those same thoughts running through my mind before I made the decision to do what I did. It was all of those shoulds that I talked about. My career was going really well at Google. Everyone asked, why would you leave? Are you bananas? Like everyone's trying to get into Google. Like, why would you leave that behind? My husband at the time was pursuing his own venture 
And I became the solo breadwinner. And it just felt like a lot of pressure. You know, like I should be the stable one. I've got to hold the fort down. I'll wait to live my dreams later. One of the biggest shoulds that I heard at the time was, you're at the prime baby making age. You need to just have children. You're going to regret it if you don't. Your eggs are rotting. You know, you've got to do that. We knew we wanted to have babies, but we weren't ready yet. We both wanted to live this dream. So we decided to freeze our embryos. That was our backup plan. A year later, there was a mishap at the facility. You know, they notified us. Still don't know the viability of the embryos to this day until I plan to use it. So that's what they basically told me. You know, when you want to use it, we could tell you if they're viable. And that was kind of my rock bottom point. I went on a long self-help journey and I started with reading books because there was a bit of shame involved because on the outside, everything looks great. I have a great husband, great job, lots of friends, family. What's there to complain about? right? So on the outside, everything was great. On the inside, it didn't feel so good. So I didn't want to talk to anyone about it. And instead I picked up books and I've read every Brene Brown book out there, you know, like everything. And I read for eight months. And at the end of that eight months, still couldn't figure out, do I have babies or do I go travel the world and live my dreams? Still didn't have that answer. After that, that was where ayahuasca came in. So a friend told me about ayahuasca And for those who don't know what it is, it's a medicinal plant. Peruvians use it. You know, there's a shaman, a whole ceremony. And so my friend, she told me, oh, there's this thing called ayahuasca and it's supposed to give you clarity. So I was like, clarity, that's what I need. I need clarity. (laughs) That's exactly what I need. So I went to Peru for a five-day ayahuasca ceremony to gain this clarity. They always say mother ayahuasca gives you what you need not what you want. So I got a lot of great insight, but not the answer to, do I have babies or do I go travel the world? And it wasn't until I got back to the US, coworker told me about coaching, which also at the time I knew nothing about coaching. I was like, how could somebody else help me figure out what I want to do in my life? You know, like I'm smart enough. I'm supposed to be able to figure this out on my own, but I was super desperate I was like, this is my last chance. I need to just try whatever. So I got a coach and I'm really glad that I did because my coach helped me to peel back those layers of the shoulds, really get to the core of me and what mattered to me. And that's when I made the two decisions. One, I need to leave my job at Google. I need to pursue my dreams because I would regret it if I didn't. Even if I stayed, I'm not guaranteed a child. I'm not, nothing is within my control. And so I made the decision to leave corporate world, go travel the world. And the other decision I made was I want to be a coach. I want to do what my coach did for me, for other women, because being stuck absolutely sucked. And so that was my journey. Really like the quote, your mindset, not your circumstance makes all the difference in your happiness and success. It's one of my greatest learnings on this journey. Mental fitness really helped me to have that courage to pursue this dream and then to pivot it when COVID hit and I got stuck in Ghana and that was not my dream to be stuck in a a country. You know, I didn't get to travel. So I want to kind of pick apart your story because like I said, it's super interesting and there's so many layers, but talking about ayahuasca, because like everyone, it's like the rage nowadays, everyone's looking into it. What were some of the key learnings from that experience? You had said it didn't give you the answer about, do I have babies or do I travel? So what did you get from it? 
So I did three nights over the five days. Each evening was a different experience. I would say the two biggest learnings, one is if you had met me three, four years ago, I would not be sharing any of this with you. I had an armor on. I thought strength was I'm a strong, independent woman. I don't need anybody's help. You know, like that was my mentality. The second evening, I remember just my body was on fire and it hurt. And I was curled up in fetal position, just like crying in pain. It was just so painful. And then all of a sudden I envisioned my husband there and he just held my hand, rubbed my back and told me everything will be okay. And I let him. Usually I'd be like, I could take care of myself. I don't need you. But I let him take care of me and it just felt so nice to allow someone else to help you. And it was that moment that I realized it actually takes more courage to ask for help, to allow for help than it is to keep this armor on and try to do everything yourself and think that you don't need anybody's help. We are all human beings. We are so interconnected. And if anything COVID has shown us, we are very, very connected as human beings and we do need each other. And that moment was when I realized, oh yeah, I don't need to do everything on my own. I'm not meant to be independent and um, not relying on other people. And it's not weakness to ask for help. So that was one of my key insights. The third night, I remember being in a forest and I was walking along holding hands with Mother Ayahuasca and it was just beautiful green trees and uh, the brightest blue waters. And I told her, I wish my husband were here. His name's Greg. So I said, I wish Greg were here to share in this experience. And she was like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah. And all of a sudden his head just bopped out into the, in the clouds and he was like, oh, this is beautiful. And we got to share that experience together. And why this is so significant is because I used to think independence meant doing everything alone, experiencing everything alone. And I don't need to have anybody else there. So it was very similar to the night before, but it was the codependence is weak. I want to travel the world on my own and it's going to be on my terms. And I don't need anybody else there to share experiences with. And in that moment, I realized how much I enjoyed having his company and having him there. Isn't it ironic too that you guys got stuck with each other for seven months in Ghana, like, don't speak the language, like, like the universe timing is like, okay, like, let's put it to the test now. Yeah. And we were stuck in, they call it a chalet in Ghana, but it is not a chalet. It's a tiny <laughs> little bedroom. We had a camping stove in the kitchen to cook with. It was a tiny kitchen wow. and then a bathroom. So if you wanted to escape each other, you would have to hide out in the bathroom. Wow. I mean, it's like one thing if you live together, right? And then maybe you go to work and you have your like gym and your routine, but then to be stuck in like that situation, like really pushing it to the limit. Yeah. And our date nights when we were there were, uh, there was a Shell gas station like down the street and that was our date night. We would walk there and buy Oreos. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's kind of cute though. I have to say sometimes simple is best, but so between the ayahuasca and that, has it made your relationship better? Like, I, I know you're pregnant now, so obviously something is going well. Yeah, it definitely helped our relationship significantly because learning to live with someone, I mean, you're going to either kill each other or you're going to learn to love each other. And we learned to love each other. It was challenging 
to start, but we learned a lot about each other. We understood giving each other space, what we each needed. And I would say any relationship, it takes work. So, you know, it's a constant work. Do we have everything together? Are we perfect? Not at all. But are we continuing to work on it? Yes. Like we have quarterly relationship retreats. We have weekly state of the unions because it takes a lot of work. That's smart though, right? I think sometimes we neglect it because it doesn't seem as serious or as important as work, but you need to treat it like that. Like it is serious. Yes. That that makes me think of, um, have you ever heard of the Gottmans? No, I haven't. So they're a relationship therapist. And one of the things that's really stuck out for me that they said was a lot of couples, when you first get together, you're getting to know each other. So it's exciting. And then a decade goes by, two decades go by, and you assume that person is the same person that you met. And you forget to get to know them and be curious about who they are. You've changed, they've changed. And so it takes work and you need to treat that person, your relationship, and you as like new people curious about each other every single day. I never thought about it like that, but it is true. We change very often. I like that. Well, so talked about ayahuasca, right? Kind of getting clarity, all that stuff. So, you know, you mentioned the term mental fitness, which is the first time I've ever heard that. How is that different from mental health? Like, is there a difference? Yes, it is definitely different. So mental fitness is essentially your capacity to respond to life's challenges with positive mindset rather than getting upset and stressed. So oftentimes people hear mental fitness and they think mental health and they are very different. So mental fitness is not about healing. It's about being proactive, strengthening your muscles that you need before you need it. So if we were to think of physical analogy to bring this to life, if you were signed up for a marathon, more than likely you would probably build up your physical fitness to prepare, right? You would go running, you would do strength training, build up your lung capacity so that on the day of the marathon, it's not that hard and you can handle it. And it's the same thing with mental fitness. So with mental fitness, you can build up your brain essentially under this head. You have different muscles and those muscles can help you better handle life's challenges, whether it's the pandemic, working from home, not working from home, politics, relationships, all of those things that cause us stress and anxiety. For most of us, we are of average mental fitness because we haven't continued to strengthen those muscles. And so the notion of mental fitness is how do you strengthen those muscles each and every day the way you would your physical? So is that something that we're wired with? Like how how has that happened? Is it just how society has taught us or what was the thing if we think psychologically, physically, that makes Mm -hmm. us kind of respond to things that way. Yeah. So, I mean, essentially there are two sides of our brain. One side is the part where our survival side is. It's where our saboteurs live. That's the side that's constantly looking for the saber-toothed tiger, the danger signs. And the reason this is so is because our number one priority is survival. It always has been. But there is this other side of the brain where we have deeper inner wisdom and it's where our sage lives, our intuition, our deeper knowing. And if I were to put your head under an MRI machine, I could see which one is being activated. When we were born as children, both sides were active and we could tap into both. As adults, one side got quieter and one side got louder. 
guess which one got louder? It's our survival (laughs) side. It's the side that's constantly looking for danger signs, looking out for that tiger, even when it's not there. And so it's good to have that instinct. But if a tiger isn't there, which it usually isn't anymore, then we don't know how to switch that off. And that's what actually causes the stress, anxiety, and worry. Our brains are still in caveman, cavewoman days where survival was our biggest challenge. That's part of the issue is that even though our brains have evolved over the hundreds and thousands of years, it is still very much the same as back in the day where our number one priority was survival. That's why we are the way we are. The good news is that you can strengthen your mental fitness muscles. You can get out of that survival mode because there are no more saber-toothed tigers that we need to survive from. Mental fitness is really around being able to tap into that deeper sage side of the brain. So how do we get out of survival mode? Like what are some tips and tricks that you work with people with to actually like get them into more sage, right? Zen kind of listening to their intuition instead of thinking rationally about everything. Yeah. Great question. So essentially there are three core muscles behind mental fitness. It's like, if I wanted to build my biceps and there are different bicep exercises that I could do. So with mental fitness, there are three core muscles to it. The first is the saboteur interceptor. The second is the sage perspective. And then the third is self-command. So saboteur interceptor is all about recognizing when you are in that survival mode. So there has been research done and there are essentially like, you could call them characters, 10 different characters. They're all saboteurs that live in this survival side. And we have tendencies for different ones. So the 10 different saboteurs, there's the judge, which all of us have the most familiar to many of us, we call it the inner critic. So there's the judge, there's the avoider, the hyperachiever, hyperrational, hypervigilant, controller, victim. So there's 10 different ones. And so the key with the saboteur interceptor is to be able to recognize it when it shows up and be able to catch it before it takes over our actions and choices. So there is a free assessment online that you can take and you will get the results of which of the saboteurs are your top ones. And it gives you a description about each of the saboteurs so that you could catch it and be intimately aware of it because awareness breeds choice. And I will uh, share the link to the assessment with you afterwards so that your listeners can go and take this free assessment. So saboteur interceptor is the first muscle. The second muscle is the sage perspective. And the sage perspective is that every outcome or circumstance can be turned into a gift or an opportunity, even if it's not obvious in the moment. And usually it isn't. It is not obvious in the moment. You know, breakups are a great example of that. I can think of all the relationships that I was in. And when we broke up, I was like, oh man, I feel so rejected. This sucks. I feel horrible. This is the end of the world. But now looking back, they were all gifts because if they hadn't happened, I wouldn't be with my amazing husband today. And I'm sure that's true for many of us where we look back and everything makes sense afterwards, but it doesn't make sense in the moment. And so sage perspective is really around taking that perspective. And you know, research has actually shown that 80% of what you're calling your experience is getting generated from what's inside your head. 
thousand percent. Yeah. (laughs) Only 20% comes from the actual circumstance. And so if you think about that, like you can shift your perspective and your own experiences just by how you're looking at something. So that's what the second muscle is about is can you look at every situation, every circumstance and see that there's a gift or opportunity. So that's the second muscle. The third muscle is self-command. And the thing with this muscle is if you're hijacked by the survival side of your brain, it is really hard to shift into the sage side, right? It's hard to say, oh, what's the gift or opportunity in this moment? You know, because you're in such a a saboteur survival mode. And so the self-command muscle is really around being able to shift that mindset and the emotions and the things that are going on. And what this muscle does is really to help you take control of your own mind. And I often ask people, do you believe that you are in control of your own mind? Gabby, do you think you're in control of your own mind? I'd like to think so. (laughs) Sometimes it has a mind of its own for the most part. Yeah. So a lot of people believe they are in control of their own mind. And I will look everyone in their eyes and say, you're not in control of your own mind. Because if you were in control of your own mind, would you be forcing yourself or controlling yourself to wake up at three in the morning, worried and stressed about a presentation you have to give the next day? Would you really be waiting to be happy in your life? Like these are not things that we choose. And so if we're not choosing it, then who is? Mm-hmm. Damn. Well, okay. Now that being said, I have a question because so there's that, right? Okay. Let's not get into our head too much, right? Go with flow. And then when we talk about emotions, right? Emotions are Mm -hmm. taboo. Like if a woman is too emotional, that's bad. And if a guy is emotional, period, that's bad. So like, how do we embrace the emotion and let our mind be in sage mode, but then right, I guess, command it so that it doesn't overtake us to the point of like, we can't get shit done. Yes. So the thing is, a lot of us have been trained to believe emotions and feelings are not good, especially uncomfortable ones. So we find ways to numb them and numbing your emotions and feelings is like, it's like having your hand on a hot stove, turning away and hoping the stove will magically stop burning and the pain will disappear. You can keep wincing, you can grit your teeth, but guess what? Your hand is still on the hot stove. It's still getting burned. And the only way to move forward is to look at your hand, process the emotions, process the sensations, and then make a conscious choice to remove your hand. And the thing with all emotions, they're neither good or bad. They are merely sources of information and they are messengers sending us information. And we do not allow ourselves to feel anything that is uncomfortable. So typically if we are in... I'm I'm using air quotes, negative emotions. We think it is a bad thing and we try to avoid it instead of feeling the sensations. And so, for example, anger, if I'm upset, it shows up as uh, my whole body is warming up, my heart starts racing, my throat might feel choked up. Those are the sensations that are showing up in my body. Those are merely bits of information trying to tell me something. And what often happens is um, people will try to push it away and ignore it because it's uncomfortable. Like it doesn't feel good when your heart's racing and your throat feels choked. But if we actually sit with it and explore what is happening and show up with curiosity, we can actually find information about it and what that information is trying to tell us. 
And that is actually what will help us get into the sage perspective also. And that was actually what the third muscle, the self-command is around presencing yourself and bringing you into the sage perspective. So I'm wondering now, like, is there a way, and maybe it goes with the self-command and through practice, but like to train yourself to embrace the emotion, right? Still acknowledge it, still get done what you want to get done. And then also you had mentioned something really interesting at one point when we were originally talking that you can actually change the way you respond to a reaction. You may respond, let's say if someone calls you out for something or a troll online is getting to you, initially the reaction is anger, but then you can retrain your mind so that instead of it being the first thing is anger, but it's of acceptance or compassion or love. Yes. Yes. Actually, would you like to do a practice together? Sure. Yeah. So the self-command muscle, what it really does is it shifts your mind from saboteur into sage. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. And I will invite you to do this with me. So take two fingertips Mm -hmm. and rub them together with such attention that you can sense all the fingertip ridges and really feel all the sensations of touch. So that was 10 seconds. And 10 seconds is equal to like one rep. So if I were trying to train my bicep muscles, that's like doing one bicep curl. It's not going to change everything. But if I were to put your head under an MRI machine right now, what I would be able to see is it ever so slightly quieted the side where your saboteurs are and it ever so slightly activated the side where the sage is. So it's just like exercising. The more you practice, the more you build up that muscle, the more you're able to access it. So let's say you were triggered by something and you're in saboteur mode. How would you be able to shift to sage? So first step is recognizing I'm in saboteur mode. And how do you recognize that? It's because you're feeling negative sensations, difficult sensations in your body. You might be having negative thoughts in your mind. We typically know when we're in that survival mode. And so as soon as you recognize you're in in that survival mode, in this saboteur mode, stop. Doesn't matter who did what to you. Doesn't matter what's happening in the world. Just pause, stop. Second step is to do a self-command exercise. So we just did the fingertip one. There are lots of different ways to do it. We're not going to get to practice all of them here today, but there's one using your breath. There's one using visual cues. There's one using listening cues. So it's really about shifting that brain over to the sage. The more challenging and more hijacked you are, the longer PQs you're going to have to do, the stronger your muscles will be or have to be in order to handle that situation. So first step is recognize saboteurs and stop. Second step is doing the self-command exercises. And then the third step is to take that sage perspective. And the sage perspective is what's the gift or opportunity here? How can I show up differently? What is the choice that I want to make in this situation versus being reactive? And that's how you put all of those three things together, all those three muscles in order to be able to handle challenging situations. So you can think of it as like an operating system. There's one step one, step two, and step three. I like that you broke it out though, and that you keep reiterating that it is a muscle to be worked because I think mm-hmm. we naturally put a lot of pressure on ourselves to like 
understand these things immediately yeah. and that doesn't happen. And then there's the other factor of like, I love to use the phrase new level, new devil, right? As we grow mm. as humans, right? We, whether, right, you become a new mom or you start yeah. a business or change roles, like you move, there's going to be a new challenge that comes up. So it's never going to be perfect. You just have to get better at responding to that negative situation. Yeah. And, and I love the way that you frame that because so many of my clients come to me and they wanted all their changes to happen like yesterday. <laughs> and the thing that I keep reminding all of them is you're unlearning decades of behavior, things that are so ingrained in you and you have to be kind to yourself. I mean, part of the mental fitness work is also self-empathy and to fall in love with yourself again. And part of that is having patience for knowing that you're going to mess up and that's okay. Cause we are perfectly imperfect human beings. Yeah. It's hard though. It's hard, especially when oh, yeah. you see like Instagram, the perfect feed, and this person <laughs> made a million dollars, you know, like all these things that we aspire to have or like the perfect family or, you know, whatever it is. It's not easy. There's a lot of pressure that society yes. puts on us and that we put on ourselves. Completely. And you know what? That also goes back to the survival brain because back in the day when we had, were cavemen and cave women, we needed to be accepted and part of a tribe. And why is that? It is, again, for survival reasons. It is because if a saber-toothed tiger were to come and attack you, would you have more of a chance of surviving if you were alone or if you were part of a tribe? And so even back then, we needed to be liked. We needed to be accepted into the tribe. And that was for survival reasons. And we were constantly comparing and assessing and judging other people because we're trying to figure out, are you an enemy? Or are you part of my tribe? Yeah. I think the great thing is we're finally realizing, okay, we have a lot mm -hmm. of conditioning, like, right, to unravel from our survival brain, right, of just yep. the cavemen, cavewomen perspective, but also, like, everyone talks about right, generational habits and generational problems and, right, what we're inheriting from mom, who inherited from grandma, yeah. who, you know, so it's these... It's not only what we're experiencing from a biological level, but it's also the trauma that we've experienced as children and also what our parents and parents' parents have experienced that has then trickled down to us. Oh, yeah, totally. And the thing is, these things live in our tissues. And that's why paying attention to our bodies, it, it's just so important. Emotions show up because they are essentially things that have been embedded into our tissues. You know, muscles have memory, tissues have intelligence and things get passed down from generation to generation and they live within our muscles, within our tissues. And sensations give us information before language does. Yeah, I So if we it. can increase our awareness of these sensations and recognizing what they're trying to tell us, that's such a critical element to change and transformation. Yeah. It I don't think we've really recognized that the body really is so powerful. Because even when you think about inflammation, right? Everyone is inflamed or a lot of people are overweight or experiencing a lot of health ailments. And then when we look at the progress, maybe that we haven't made, right? Psychologically, mm -hmm. emotionally, all this stuff, you wonder if the two and two, well, we know through studies that the two and two are one and the same. Oh, very much. Yeah, definitely. And And the thing is, so... I can share this video with you too afterwards, but there's a video of an impala getting chased by a lion. It falls over, becomes unconscious. And then the lion, for some reason, just walks away, lets the impala live. And the impala doesn't just get right back up and go back to life. So you'll see that the impala just, 
the whole entire body is vibrating. It's shaking. It's letting go of the trauma of having been chased and nearly died because of this line. And it's not until it's done processing and it's done shaking all of that energy out of its body that it then gets up and continues on. That is how a lot of animals process trauma, emotions, things that are happening. As humans, we're one of the very few animals that don't allow ourselves to do that. Instead, we try to numb, you know, we try to suppress. If we were the Impala, we would have probably just gotten right back up and gotten into doing mode again. If we go into doing mode and we don't allow ourselves to process, then all of those, the trauma, the emotions, the negative sensations, that still sits in our tissue. And that does cause like inflammation, illnesses, and that's how it manifests. So interesting. But it, it, and now that you say that, it reminds me of like, I feel like every time I do like a yoga class or have like some sort of session with like a group of women or like mm-hmm. whatever it is, they're always like, shake it out, right? Everyone shake your body. <laughs> like, this is kind of silly. But now that you think about it, right? It's not only warming your body up and right, getting it like ready for whatever's going to be learned, but in a sense, you could be shaking yourself free of the fetters mm-hmm. of your mind that have been with you going into that experience or whatever it is. So, and even they say things like dance and stuff actually help tremendously when it comes to not only stress relief, right? And fun, but releasing traumatic experiences within the body. Yes, it does. And I I do this one exercise with my clients. Um, It's a shake and swipe. And we literally, (laughs) like if they're holding onto something, we will imagine that's on their body. And we're just like shaking different parts of our body and swiping and just like wiping it off. I like that. I like that a lot. Energetically cleansing. I like Mm -hmm. it. But um, one thing that you had mentioned when we first met up and we're like talking about the podcast is you were talking about progress, right? Celebrating appropriately and and all of that. So how does that play in with all of this? Because, right, we want to make sure we're celebrating our progress, but we still want to do the work. Like we don't want to, it's like when you say, okay, like I did, I went to the gym one day, I'm going to eat a birthday cake. Like it doesn't necessarily work out, but how can we celebrate success in a way that's healthy and pushes us as opposed to like basically undermining our progress? Yeah, that's that's a great question because the, the thing is we don't celebrate ourselves enough. But this is so important, not just to stay motivated, but to achieve our goals and dreams. And it's also good for our well-being. There's been plenty of studies that have shown that if you celebrate yourself, you have improved physical health, you have better cooking strategies, you get along with people more. And celebrating also builds your confidence and keeps you motivated. Oftentimes, like if you were to think about your life as a project plan, we don't celebrate ourselves until we've achieved the whole project. We don't celebrate the milestones. And if you have the hyperachiever saboteur like I do, you know, you might have been the type of person who you're climbing this mountain. And before you even get to the top, you're looking for the next mountain to climb. You're not up there celebrating. Celebrating is so important. Because of all these things, it keeps us motivated and it actually increases the likelihood you're going to achieve whatever you want to achieve. And we're great with celebrating other people, but not so much with ourselves. The other thing that holds a lot of people back from celebrating themselves is they think that it needs to be some big thing. Like it needs to be some big dinner. It needs to be a big trip. It needs to be something, but it doesn't have to be. And so can we experiment with a few? Yeah, sure. I love. I honestly love this because once we started talking about it, I think when we first met, I think January or December, I was like, you know what? I never actually intentionally celebrate things. 
Like even with the success of my podcast, my business, I have not actually sat and intentionally celebrated. And that's a problem. So yes, let's get into it. So so then we will celebrate all of the things that <laughs> we need to celebrate. So the first one I want you to do is choose whichever arm you want and raise it up high. And now pat your back. <laughs> oh my God, it's so silly when I like it. <laughs> and that is called the, the self-pat. Okay, the pat on the back. Very simple. <laughs> so let's try another one. Choose your favorite arm and put it up. And now take the other arm and give it a high five. <laughs> and personally, I like when I'm standing, I have one one arm up and I'll like jump and high five because I like jumping high fives. So <laughs> jumping high five. Third way. And then I have four total for you today. So third way, put both arms up and now just hug yourself. Oh, I like this one. And this is the self-hug. Okay. And the last way to celebrate. So uh, you can imagine yourself on a stage. There's curtains and the curtains are about to open. Okay. And so I want you to put both arms up. And as the curtains are opening up, I want you to do this with your hands and feel like, yes, I am here on stage. I am amazing. <laughs> You're so welcome. I feel like I should be on a float right now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what's even more fun, you can actually do that. Like uh, go to a grocery store. So say you did something amazing and you also want to celebrate yourself with a bouquet of flowers or like a bottle of champagne. Go to the grocery store. And as those sliding doors open, imagine those are curtains. And as you walk into your local store, just have your arms up and be like, yes, I'm here. I'm here to get myself some chocolate and flowers. <laughs> I am embracing this place, you know? So those are four different ways. And it really is about finding one that resonates with you, really thinking about how do you tend to celebrate other people? Because we give people high fives, we give them hugs, right? We give them pats on their back. We don't do it for ourselves. So how do you want to celebrate you and find the one that resonates with you? Why these work? One, they make you laugh because they're so silly. They literally are. I'm like, my cheeks hurt from smiling. <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah, so they're silly. They make you smile. Um, and they are using physical movement, which shifts the chemicals in your body and shifts the emotions that you feel. Because a lot of times when people celebrate, they think, oh, I'm going to celebrate myself. Oh, yeah, that was great. I My podcast is doing great. Okay, moving on. And they move on. It's just yeah. a fleeting thought. And so this is actually taking two seconds out of your day, making a physical movement that makes you laugh, which then shifts the chemicals in your body and shifts your entire emotions. And your body recognizes, oh, this is celebration. I like that. I like that a lot. It's simple too, right? It's not something complex or expensive or like you don't have an excuse. <laughs> you, you can do it. And you can do it every single day. Like, what did I achieve? What am I proud of myself for today? And honestly, we think that it has to be some big thing to celebrate, but it can be something small and it might seem unimportant, but it could be very important. So for example, for me personally, I used to not sleep and not take care of myself. And I didn't know how, I didn't know how to take a break. And my husband was helping me to try to like, get me to sleep, get me to rest when I'm sick to pause and rest. And so when I started to take those pauses, at first I would feel guilty, but then I would pause, I would take a nap if I'm sick, and then I would get up and I would high-five myself that I allowed myself to rest and sleep. 
because it was something that was really hard. And that motivated me to keep going. I was like, yeah, good job. High five. (laughs) You let yourself rest. And it became something that was fun. Yeah. And then it doesn't become like a bad thing if it, you probably taking a break is a bad thing. And now you actually like think about it as a good thing. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Hard to do. Hard to do. Well, so this has been awesome. I learned a lot and I've thought I've mastered my mental fitness, but I apparently have some work to do. I'm also really excited for the quizzes and stuff. So I'm sure a lot of people are as well. But one thing that I like to do with every single episode, every guest is to ask one final question just to wrap it up. And it's, if you could give advice to your younger self, right? Younger Amy, what would that be? You know, like what I mentioned just now was I used to overwork myself, didn't know how to rest. I even got hospitalized a few times because of stress. And I would be in the hospital on my phone, like checking emails still. I just didn't know how to stop. And I was not kind enough to myself. I didn't play. And so the advice that I would give myself would be, be kinder to yourself, play more, celebrate more, and take life less seriously. Because at the end of life, a lot of the things that you worry about really don't matter. Your grades, job titles, salaries, like none of that will matter. And what will matter is how you lived your life. So live a good one. Fuck yeah. What a way to end an episode. I love it. I love it. So where can people find you, Amy, if they want to follow you, compliment you on the episode, work with you, all the things? Uh, They can visit Amy Yip Coaching, A-M-Y-Y-I-P coaching.com. You can go there. You can contact me. I also have a workbook there called Nine Rules for Remarkable Women. So free download. And then also I'm on LinkedIn. So Amy C. Yip. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so glad you came and shared all these things. Yeah, it was great chatting with you. Keep celebrating. Yeah, I know. I know. Now I'm like taking mental notes. I'm like, okay, what are we going to do today? (laughs) But thank you again. I appreciate it. It was great being here. Thanks for listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast. Visit corporatequitter.com for resources, extended content, and additional information about our guests. To connect with us, stay up to date on all things Corporate Quitter, and to learn more about how you can leave the nine to five, follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys.